is to go all the way okay. with, with we're, we're you know, well a goddess. Um, I'm having a hard time talking because I hear all That's this okay. stuff in the background. We're, Do you still hear me? No, Trista, we're live, so we'll, we'll finish the conversation in a few minutes. Welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. I'm your host, Karen Tate, voted one of the most influential women of goddess spirituality, in part because of this show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much for your support and your listener loyalty and for your votes, if you were the one of the ones who voted me that. Uh, each of you is an integral part of the Voices of the Sacred Feminine family from wherever you're listening from, and I know you are across the globe. That said, if if this is the first time you're listening and you like what you hear tonight and want to stay in the loop, please remember to hit the follow button so you know who my guest is each week because you might not be in my database and I might not have time to send a reminder. Well, that cut opening tonight's show was Sacred Way by Abigail Spinner McBride, a wonderful artist that hails from Las Vegas. I love her music and use it rather regularly. I hope you'll look her up and check out her CDs. A lot of inspirational music there that can really just sort of transport you. Well, two women are on the show tonight, and I'm looking forward to chatting with both. Uh, first up is Trista Hendren, and she's the author of the children's book, The Girl God, which I first saw a mention of on Huffington Post. It's truly a work of art, and adults will enjoy it as much as children will learn from it. We'll chat about that, how it came to be, and the exciting things she has coming up. Then, uh, crossing the threshold into the second half of the show, Ann Scott is with me. I learned about Ann's work through an email I got from Joan Marler, I believe, uh, a former guest and actually a contributor to my upcoming uh, anthology, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Joan is involved with uh, mnemonic production, celebrating women as creators of culture. And Ann Scott was celebrated by Joan's group in a presentation called The Forgotten Song, How Working with Homeless Women Has Uncovered Feminine Wisdom for Life. Uh, Ann's work supports women through times of crisis and transition, and we're going to speak to her about her work over the past years, as well as her book, Women, Wisdom, and Dreams, The Light of the Feminine Soul. But first, uh, a few quick housekeeping tidbits, uh, especially <clears throat> for you new listeners out there. Uh, last week, I announced a new segment I'm doing, and I want to be sure you heard about it. Uh, for my What's the Buzz segment, uh, when I talk about the bees in my bonnet, I want you to participate. I'd love to hear from you. Email me a short paragraph and let me know how decisions being made or not being made by politicians or the Supreme Court are actually affecting your life. Have you experienced a state-mandated vaginal probe? Have you been denied the right to vote or contraception? How would you have been affected if the bill Elizabeth Warren wanted to get passed for student loans but was rejected by Republicans? How would that have helped you? I think you get the idea. Let's, make this, let's take this to the personal level and show how policies 
uh, that are anti-woman, anti-worker, anti-gay, anti-science, anti-immigrant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do they affect you? How do they affect women and men out there? Or if you're a Hobby Lobby employee, I really want to hear from you. Or if you just have to vent and have a comment about any recent headlines, you have a voice here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And we want to hear good things too, so send those stories as well, or things to chew on because, you know, we might not know exactly how to feel about it, or we might have... Um, There might be pros and cons, like when the European Court of Human Rights upheld a ban by France on wearing the Muslim, uh, women wearing the Muslim face, a full face veil. Women cannot do that there. Um, So send me your comments and thoughts. Maybe we'll start opening the chat room if there's interest. And you know what? Send me inspirational things as well. And uh, today I want to share a quote from an email that came out was actually from my first guest tonight, Trista Hendren. Uh, She uh, sent out an email about her Girl God book, and she had a wonderful quote by Sylvia Faz, or Faze, F-A-H-S, and uh, I wanted to share it with you. Um, Here's Sylvia's words. Some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness and the feeling of being especially privileged. Other beliefs are expansive and lead the way into wider and deeper sympathies. Some beliefs are divisive, separating the saved from the unsaved, friends from enemies. And other beliefs are bonds in a world community where differences beautify the pattern. So those are the words of Sylvia Faze, or Faz. And that comes compliments of Trista Hendren, author of The Girl God. And uh, one more thing before we start our chat with Trista. If you're in the Westlake Village area of Southern California, if you are, you'll know where I mean. I want to be sure you know about a movie screening and discussion that's happening this Saturday night of the film Invocation, produced by the wonderful Renaissance man, Emmanuel Atier, who also produced Femme, Women Healing the World. You remember I talked about that a lot. I was lucky enough to be in that film, Femme, with a lot of my mentors, and I was very proud of it. Uh, And Invocation was actually Emmanuel's um, first film. Uh, It was also produced by Sharon Stone. And this movie screening and discussion on Saturday is going to be from 7 to 9 at the Center for Spiritual Living in Westlake Village. Uh, Tickets are $15. There's going to be a drumming prelude uh, before the 7 o'clock movie screening from 6.30 to 7. And uh, it's going to be an exploration of the notion of God and a call for world peace with inspirational messages of the Dalai Lama, Deepak Chopra, Desmond Tutu, Karen Armstrong, Michael Beckwith, uh, Irvin Laszlo, Oliver Stone, Mark Wahlberg, uh, people like that. So you might want to check it out. Uh, And let me just give you the address in case you've never heard of the Center for Spiritual Living. Uh, It's 880 Hampshire Road. Westlake Village, California, and the zip is 91361, and their phone number is 805-495-0105. And if I didn't already say it, the tickets 
or $15 at the door. In the invocation, a documentary about God and world peace directed by uh, my good friend and uh, a man of the future, if if more men were like him, well, wow, we would have it so much easier, um, Emmanuel ATA. Okay, so um, it's about time to uh, say hello to my first guest, and uh, Trista is there on the line with me. Hi, Trista. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me on, Karen. Well, you know, I am so glad to have you on the show, and I have to tell you, I can't say enough about your wonderful book, The Girl God. Um, you know, I was uh, excited about it when I saw the write-up on the Huffington Post, and kudos to you, by the way, for getting on the Huffington Post. Uh, I'm sure that was no easy feat. And uh, and then when I actually saw the book, it is so beautiful. I mean, each page is like a, a, a little mini watercolor masterpiece. Um, how did how did that all come about? Oh, thank you so much, Karen. Um, you know, I I wrote the book um, a couple years ago after I had a conversation with my daughter, who was five at the time, and I I, I wrote it all down and and I talked to my husband about it, and he's like, you know, you should really make this into a book. And I'd always wanted to write a book, but I just had never done it. And um, so I had in mind what sort of illustrator I wanted for the book, but I didn't know that particular illustrator. And then, lo and behold, a couple months later, a friend of a friend posted um, one of Elizabeth's pieces, and I was, it was instantly exactly what I had had in mind. So I messaged her and asked her if she would illustrate the book, and she asked to, to read the manuscript, and she said yes. So um, when I was in uh, Bergen, where my husband lives, I traveled to Lillehammer, Norway, where she lives, and we were able to meet and speak, and we did that a couple times, and then um, not long after, we published it. So, Wow. So um, say, what is her full name? Elizabeth Sletness. And does she have a website or something that people could yeah, aside it's, from? Yeah, it's actually, there's a link on my website, which is just thegirlgod.com, which might be easier just because her name is spelled the Norwegian way, which is okay. with Elizabeth with an S. So it's E-L-I-S. And then Sletness is S-L-E-T-T-N-E-S, and then it's .net is her okay. website. So Trista, is this your first book? Yes, The Girl God was my first book, and I've actually turned it into a series. We had um, Mother Earth came out earlier this year, and we are just about to release a book for boys about the Divine Feminine also. And does the Mother Earth book, is it the same um, uh, artwork? Is it, you know, did you get the same yes. artist too? Okay, and will the third yes. book also match? Yes, it will all be the same um, same sort of formula with the same artist with quotes from different uh, people that I admire. Um, I, I keep a running document of probably about 400 of my favorite quotes. <laughs> and, um, and then every time when I'm writing the book, I kind of go through and I pick out about 36 quotes. I try to have a wide variety from different, uh, different people, different backgrounds, different religions. They're all interfaith books, um, but focused on the divine feminine. Wonderful. And now, um, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, the book selling is so hard out there. Um, is it harder selling children's books, and are you self-published, or do you have a publisher, or how did that all work out? 
Uh, I'm self-published. I didn't try too hard to have the book published because it's so unusual, um, and I didn't feel like I would have the best luck there. Um, but it's it's worked out fine, and it's it's become easier as I understand. You know, it's a business just like anything else. And I, I actually have my MBA, and I had worked as a mortgage broker for 13 years before I got into this um, line of work. Um, so I've I've learned a lot in the last three years, but it's um, it's been a really wonderful process overall. So. Okay, and uh, so for so if it's self published, um, how do people find it? We're on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way. Um, we are in uh, several smaller stores. I have those all listed um, on our Facebook page. But like in other words, it's here in Portland locally. Carries the store, um, and many other um, stores throughout the United States. And then of course Elizabeth has it in her um, studio in Little Hammer. And then um, and then you can also just order it directly through our website. Okay. All right. And that's uh, simply thegirlgod.com, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe okay. it's also now at Powell's and Barnes and Noble too. Wow. Well, you know that's pretty darn good. You know, um, I, I think that was excellent. So let me ask you: How long has it been out, and did it meet? Um, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, did it meet much resistance? I mean, there aren't that many. I guess what I would call goddess-oriented or pagan for lack of a better word, um, uh, books out there for kids, at least not that I know of. So how was that getting the word out? Or were, were adults responding more than children or because of the beautiful artwork? or What, what was the process like? Well, we didn't actually have as much resistance as I thought that we would, um, especially uh, I have partially a Muslim background, um, and I – you know, we joked when we were making the book that we would end up getting death threats. Um, but we, you know, I've actually had a very warm reception from the Muslim community also. And, you know, we haven't, you know, of course the book is not for everyone. And they're, you know, a fundamentalist Christian or fundamentalist Muslim probably would have a lot of issues with the book. But I did try to write it in a respectful way of all faiths. And, and I think it probably helps that it's, the girl god as opposed to goddess, because I think goddess is still a very scary word for a lot of people. Uh-huh. Well, you know what, and, and do you want to talk about that? I mean, we started talking about it off the air, and uh, and if uh-huh. you don't want to go there on the air, that's perfectly fine. Just say oh, so. Oh, yeah, you know, no, we... I, don't, I don't mind. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, well, I'm pretty well, much an open book. So. Okay, okay. Um, well, you know, me, me too. And, you know, we were talking before um, we went live about you were thinking about starting some camps for girls. Um, so, right. So why don't you just finish that story? Yeah, so, um, you know, a couple years ago, I had the idea after I did the book that we should really expand this into, because it's one thing to have a book, but it's another thing to have this whole experience of going to a camp. And I kind of likened it to my experience. I grew up fundamentalist Christian, going to all these Bible camps and vacation Bible schools and everything, which, you know, in some ways were good for me. In other ways, you know, looking back, growing up as a woman and becoming a full person maybe weren't so much. So I thought, well, it would be so great to have these camps of empowerment for girls. And in particular, I feel like there are a lot of good programs for girls, but they don't really go, in my mind, all the way. And to me, that's that's why I'm so passionate about goddess work, because I do think 
the, the idea of a male god is really like the biggest thing that keeps women back around the world. So I wanted to do these goddess camps, and I came together with different women from all over the country. We have a website where we've developed a curriculum. We're ready to go, but we needed funding. And every time we talked to people, whether it was here in Portland, in Tennessee, in New York, the same response um, was pretty much that, yeah, the camps sound awesome, but do you really have to call them goddess camps? You know, why can't you call them something else that's less um, – I don't know, <laughs> not so bold, threatening, yeah. And so that's, that's what we keep running into. So we did decide um, actually in the last month that we are just going to go ahead and go forward and do crowdfunding and just put it together and, you know, hopefully we'll get the support that we need. But I do think that it's, we have a great camp and, and it's sad to me that it's still such a hard word for people to really except it's, it's so threatening. And yet, you know, the, as you know, the divine feminine is in every faith tradition. It, it's, it's in all of them. So it shouldn't, I, I know. It shouldn't be threatening, but it is. Well, and I wonder, you know, in talking to these women, of course, don't, you know, don't name names, but did they sort of give, I, I guess, more of an explanation about why? Uh, or did they just say, let's not call it goddess? And you kind of had to assume yeah. what the problem was. It, it was it was a real discomfort around the world around the word goddess that you know maybe we should call it something else and then we would you know we wouldn't have uncomfortable parents and you know it wasn't even people that kind of thought that they might be okay with it thought well then the other parents might have a problem with it and and you know I wonder and and I, I'd love to have your opinion. Um, do you think that's a reflection of of women just simply being afraid of empowerment? Well, or, I think or do empowerment can be uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I think I think all women, of course, want to be empowered and they want to have equality. But you know, there's also repercussions, and it it changes the power dynamic within relationships, you know. I mean, some women are living lives where, you know, their husband isn't abusive or, you know, they maybe are thinking, I have it pretty good. I don't want to rock the boat. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, it is, I think, just not wanting to rock the boat and wanting to be, um, because it, it is hard. I mean, I know my family has struggled with my choices in faith, whether it was becoming a Muslim 20 years ago or now with the Divine Feminine, that I'm not staying in the mold that I'm supposed to be. And so right. that's, that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Well, you know, I can honestly understand that. You know, I didn't find goddess till I was 30 years old. You know, uh, I've never told you my background, but I was a Catholic growing up. My family still uh -huh. lives in Louisiana, so they're in that Bible belt. You know, my, oh, wow. some of my cousins are evangelicals. My mother just never even opened my books. You know, um, they don't understand it. It, it. You know, it's a shame, but it's really ignorance. At least it is for, for my family, I think I can say. Because if they realized how hand-in-glove goddess ideals go with Jesus ideals, at least real right. Jesus ideals, you know, I think they would be a lot more comfortable with it. But, you know, I, I think you've hit on a deeper issue here, and that's why I, I guess I'm punctuating it. And Because one of my pet peeves is women complicit in their own oppression. You know, women right. who don't want to speak up, women who would rather support the status quo, support patriarchy, than help themselves, 
help their daughters, help other women. And I guess, um, I don't know, I guess that makes me sad that women aren't more courageous. Well, I, I, to me, I can't blame women for that because I, it's such an oppressive system and I feel like I myself am still coming out of it. It's, it's like awakening from a deep coma and almost like a, a, um, being paralyzed in a way. And, you know, depending on how hard your upbringing was or where you were raised or whatever, I mean, I think we all suffer from different extents. But um, I think it's really hard, um, even for those of us who have come forward, that it, it comes at, at a pretty great cost a lot of times. Um, and we don't always fit in, you know, into normal society. I, sometimes I feel very awkward around, you know, people that I've even known for a long time because I just I feel like I yeah. think very differently. Yeah. Um, but I do, one thing I do, one thing that's really important to me is the interfaith component. And, and I think that um, we haven't gone all the way with interfaith work in a way that goddess really could bring us to where, where the goddess can really bring all women together no yeah, matter what religion they're in. She, she really is. Yeah. You think about, you know, you think about Bridget for one, you know, you think about uh, the Shekinah, you think about uh, Ruah and Sophia. I mean, really, she is a bridge um, that, that women could uh, cobble together to, uh, you know, really find some cr- common ground and, and make a difference, you know. When the Dalai Lama said it would be Western women who saved the world, you know, I, en- I envision something like that, you know. I just keep waiting for it to start. <laughs> well, I think we're already changing the world. I mean, I really, even in the last two or three years since I wrote the book, I, I see things shifting a lot and a lot more understanding and I think just if those of us who are waking up, just keep talking. Sometimes I feel like, gosh, I should probably stop because I'm probably annoying everybody. But I, we just have to stop, keep going and keep talking yeah. and keep putting everything out there, even if we feel like we're a broken record. Because, you know, we're overcoming um, something that is so internalized. And like growing up Christian, and it's the same in any faith tradition, you know, you grow up memorizing the Bible and repeating and reciting and, and all these things stay with you your whole life, even if you left them 20 years ago. And so I think you really have to be repetitive in a way because the first time you hear something, it sounds maybe crazy. And then the next time it sounds, oh, you know. And so it, maybe you have to hear it 10 or 15 times before it's, it, it even kind of resonates with you. Right. No, I, I know what you mean. I mean, they say for you, for a person to decide to buy something, you know, and that's uh-huh. not even as um, as important uh, as your spirituality. Somebody's got to hear something nine times before uh-huh. they sometimes decide to buy. So, yeah, so, you know, we do have to be like, I, I, I call it water wearing away rock. You know, we just have to keep that, you know, that wave um, rubbing on that patriarchal rock until it just dwindles away to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Trista, you, are you a practicing Muslim now or you were a practicing Muslim? I still identify as a Muslim. The thing that I try to explain to people is that being a Muslim is a cultural identity, just like being Jewish is. And and there's a lot of criticism and harshness, I think, towards Muslim feminists 
And I do sort of have a problem with that because I see so many awesome women throughout the Muslim world that are doing just tremendous things. So I think to say that someone can't be Muslim and a feminist is really offensive. Um, yeah. I'm really, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, I hate to use this word, normal Muslim. Um, and I've certainly digressed a lot in my views. Um, but, you know, I still do identify as a Muslim feminist, and I, I probably always will. Um, it's, it's, for me, it came at a time when I really needed it, and um, it's, it's still a part of me. Well, and, you know, I'm glad you said that because I actually quote some Muslim feminists in some of my books. Um, the one that uh-huh. comes to mind, I think her last name might be Zawadi. Um, but but anyway, she said something about on Free Speech TV once about um, uh, oh it, it was about how um, patriarchy or oh, religion needs God. Uh, oh, I can't remember now. It, it was brilliant, and I'll I'll have to think about it. Maybe it'll come to me. But um, I, I wonder though, because and this is my own ignorance. Um, as a Muslim, how do you come to the uh, feminine face of God? Because aside from Fatima, or I know the, um, you know Mary, uh, you know is in their holy book. Where does the, sem- the sense of the fem- you know, the feminine face of God? Where does it enter Islam? You know, you would actually be surprised because she's everywhere. And um, I'll just give one example because I could talk all night about this. I am going to do an anthology um, that's called Jesus, Muhammad, and the Goddess, and, and I will explore this more. But but every um, almost every surah in the Quran, um, you start it with Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, which is in the name of God, most compassionate, most merciful. And there's um, certain theologians who would say that when when you're referring to Rahman and Rahim, you're actually referring to the breast and the womb of God. Ah. So that's pretty, um, if you think about it, pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And I'll send you some stuff after we get off the show too, but every verse is prefaced with that. And, um, you know, I hit a point at one point, one time that I was questioning, you know, do I want to stay in Islam and finding that out actually really completely shifted the way I was thinking about the religion because I was kind of in that mindset, I think, just from being told so many times, well, you can't be a Muslim feminist and you know, it's a patriarchal religion and that sort of a thing. And to me, having those words um, looked at closer really shifted my practice of my religion and my faith and, and strengthened it. So let, so let me ask you this: Are there? And, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't know because you know I, I don't run into many people, you know, who are um, uh, progressive Muslims. I guess you, you might say. Um, mm-hmm. Are there many people that point out that it seems like, well, from what you just said, you know, breasts, womb, that the is that the Muslim God might be a woman? Wouldn't that come as a shock? to so many Muslim men around the world who... uh, I think we're coming to that point where more people are going to come out and say that. It's really interesting because you won't hear many people say that out loud, at least not very clearly. Um, It might be a more veiled reference. But in 
um, more private conversations, that comes up a lot for me um, with people that I wouldn't even have ever thought from women from in Saudi Arabia, all, all different countries where we think of, you know, a certain stereotype of how things are for women. Um, I think we're on a tipping point with Islam and the Divine Feminine that will surpass where we are with Christianity. I, I, think, I see things moving much more rapidly in the Muslim faith than I do in the Christian faith. Well, that's encouraging. Um, well, and you know that, that uh, you know that makes me think about uh, the Kaaba stone. You know, I wrote that <laughs> that's to my what first... I was going to send you. Actually, I have some okay. great pictures of that because are you familiar with the encasing? Well, yeah. What I was going to tell you was when I wrote my first book, Sacred Places, one of the big, uh-huh. um, you know, one of the big points about it that I usually use for publicity because nobody seems to know this. Uh, first of all, I mean, when you look at the Kaaba stone, it's encased in this thing that looks like a yoni, but yes. it's a meteorite <laughs> stone in there. And uh-huh. I have quotes from Muslim scholars that said it used to be worshipped as a goddess stone and it used to yes. glow green. And I uh-huh. wonder what you can add to that. Well, you know, what's really interesting, too, about that is, and I have a great article, and I, I don't think I can find it now without detracting from the um, interview, but but I'll, I'll try to paraphrase what they said. But basically, the belief is, is that if you are able to kiss that stone, it washes all of your sins away. Wow. And you basically have to stick your head in through what looks like a vulva to kiss the stone. So yeah. I, found, I find that a really interesting <laughs> analogy. <laughs> true, true, so true. I'll Isn't leave it at funny? that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I totally get that. And also the circumambulation, you know, that walking around, walking around, walking mm-hmm. around, that's all pagan, that goes back to pagan mm-hmm. roots. And... Um, you know, and, and there are other things too. I'm I'm trying to remember. Even Ramadan, uh, oh, yeah. which we're in right it's, now, there are. There was a yeah. a, a Turkish scholar, a Muslim Turkish scholar, an older woman. I want to say she was in her 70s or 80s, was arrested in Turkey because she was teaching her students that the headscarf for men and women actually went back to ancient pagan sexual rites. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like. Oh, everybody's just got to relax and breathe and, you know, not get so, um, you know, worked up about all of this stuff and see how we are all really so much more interconnected than we're different. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think the next five to ten years are going to be very interesting in terms of all the religions and the divine feminine, but particularly Islam I'm excited about. Well, you know, I never thought our conversation was going to take this direction, but how interesting. And But I, I want to go back to your books, and uh, and maybe we can have you come on the show another time and talk about, um, you know, Muslim feminists, because I'd love oh, to yeah, talk about their, their views of the headscarf and the niqab mm-hmm. and all of that, if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, because I can't mm-hmm. figure out whether 
you know it you know women feel oppressed or they you know it 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 you know if it's an oppressive thing or it's not an oppressive thing but but let's let's stick to your books for now and um and maybe if we have time before my second guest comes on we'll go back to that but okay, okay. so basically what in general I don't want you to give it all away cuz it's a short book but tell me a little bit about what the girl god is about and then a little bit about what mother earth book is about Okay. Um, well, the Girl God is basically just the spiritual journey that my daughter and I um, had. I tried to raise her as both Christian and Muslim. Her dad is Catholic. I grew up Christian, and then I had my Muslim upbringing. And as we were going along that path, I just realized that it worked fine for my son, but it didn't work at all for her, and she just wasn't getting it. And she didn't relate. And so one day I just asked her, like, don't you feel God inside of you? Because God has always been an important part of my life, um, really since birth. I, I have a very religious family. And I'm not religious, but I just, I've always had that sense that God or goddess is with me. So when I asked her if she felt God inside of her, she just said, no, I, I don't feel God. And, and I kept kind of probing. And, and basically what it came down to is I asked her, um, if she had, if she had a girl god inside of her, and then she just lit up, and her whole everything changed. Just her whole facial expression, her excitement level, and she just lit up and was like, "Yes, I have a girl god in me." And so we just started having these conversations about a girl god, and um, it just allowed her to be able to feel included in spirituality, also. And mm-hmm. now she's graduated to the term goddess, but that I think it was kind of a bridge term for us because I wasn't really using the term goddess myself with my faith tradition. Um, I had kind of looked into it in college and then I kind of just forgot about it. So, um, but it was really apparent to me, even when my daughter was five, that she, she needed that. And I think for most of us, we probably realize it when we're young, but it's depressed and, you know, we're encouraged to follow the faith traditions of our family um, and not question it too much. So um, I wanted to give her a way that she could feel empowered herself and and also learn about different points in the religion and in, in history um, that women have done amazing things because we don't often hear about those things. We hear about men's accomplishments. Okay, very true, very true. And, um, and how old is she during this process? So she was five. She was five then. She's eight now. So. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So now and she's then, thinking of. Oh, sorry. Now she's no, thinking no, no. about. Go, books. Ahead. Go um, ahead. She. Well, I want to just. I want to tell two little quick stories on my daughter because she's so funny. But she's coming up with stories now. She wants to write a book called The Goddess Inside of Me. And then yesterday, so she's also writing books now. So yesterday she told me, Mom, how long does it take you to write a book? And I was like, Well, I don't know. You know, I edit everything she's about only takes me one day so I'm much quicker than you <laughs> and you know I now I've written two fairy tales and I think fairy tales sell much better so you should really publish my books <laughs> <laughs> well you know she may have something there you know yeah. seriously a, a mother-daughter collaboration like that I think that's precious. well we are going to collaborate on the goddess inside of me I do I love that name and um we have to figure out how to do it I have some other things I'm also working on but I'm never bored. So. 
it sounds like it. So um, and so then comes uh, the Mother Earth book. How you know where does that one come into the um, the process? Well, the Mother Earth book um, was for me kind of my environmental awareness as my kids were getting older. Um, realizing that we really needed to do something drastic um, to change the course of our planet. And um, it just kind of all came to me. I guess, I guess the starting point of that story was just walking with my daughter. And you know, my daughter, both my children are very talkative, and we um, got rid of our car a couple years ago, and we started getting everywhere by foot, um, pretty much. 95% of everywhere we go, we get by foot or bike. Um, but she was just asking me, because we were making all these choices ourselves to, to be um, softer on the environment. Um, but as we're walking, we see all these cars lined up and people still driving. And she's commenting, well, why are people driving you know, just two blocks to go to the grocery store? Why can't they just walk? So her final comment was, I think cars should go extinct, not polar bears. <laughs> and I was you know, she always says these very profound things. So I kind of wrote the whole book around that statement, some of the other things that she said that kind of stuck with me um, in terms of kind of a child's perspective of, you guys are really messing up the earth, <laughs> and we want yeah. you to stop so we actually have something here when you're gone. So um, that was my um, reason behind writing that book. And um and again, you know, I was lucky to be able to work with Elizabeth on that one, who's also an environmentalist. So it was actually a lot of fun to do. Well, this is going to be a beautiful trilogy. And then the third one, um, the book for boys, Divine Feminine. Uh, tell us a little bit about that one. Well, that is actually a twist on the original Adam and Eve story. And I wanted people to look at it in a different way um, as it's told in the Christian tradition. It's a little bit different in the Muslim tradition. But... Um, but basically, I wanted a book for my son, first of all, because he was feeling a little bit left out, and also just because he's also, of course, influenced by our spirituality here in the household, and I kind of wanted to leave him a legacy of how to be a man. Um, I'm remarried now, but he hasn't always had a, a dad that was super involved in a lot of ways. Um, so as a primarily single mother, I felt like... I'm always rushing and trying to do 50 things at once. And so it's kind of my book to him and to other boys as well, like of what I think the important life lessons are for being a man that embraces feminism and equality. Oh, I can't wait for that one. When will it be out? It's actually finished now. I'm getting my first draft any time now. So I, sh I should be out in August. Wow. I, well, I can't wait. And, you know, when you, when you do have it out, you know, let's have you back on the show and, uh, you know, talk some more about it. Um, and, you know, and, and I wonder, too, um, you know, I, I think this is so incredible that here you are a Muslim, you, would, you are married to a Catholic, and you're a Christian. I forgot whether you said Catholic or Christian. And you're writing a book uh -huh. on the goddess. I mean, what could be more beautiful than that? <laughs> Well, yeah, life is never boring, is it? <laughs> so, so let me ask you, what is the Girls' Herstory Project? Okay, well, so uh, this arose. I've been. I had wanted to do this for a couple years, um, 
because a couple years ago when, when it, um, Day of the Girl first came out, I think that was almost two years or three years ago now maybe, um, and I asked uh, my daughter's teach, kindergarten teacher uh, if she would do Day of the Girl uh, in her classroom. And I asked my son's teacher and she said, yeah, of course. And then they ended up, at that time they were going to an Episcopalian school, so they actually did it in chapel too. But my daughter's teacher said, well, no, that wouldn't be fair to the boys. And I wasn't very happy with that response. And, um, and along that same time, my son had done a um, hero project. And everyone had to, oh, there were three second grade classes. And everybody gave a hero speech. And almost everybody chose a male hero, and even the girls. And so I felt really sad watching all these little girls dressed up. They dressed up also like their male hero. And then they gave these beautiful speeches. Um, which was great, but I felt like, wow, you know, why are we still in 2000, you know, I don't know, 12 or 2011, whenever it was, um, only teaching men's history? So um, basically I just put together this blog, and it's open for submiss submissions. I hope that we'll have um, girls as young as five submitting. I'm going to work on some things with my daughter over the summer. I just found a really great book, actually. Um, but what it is, is anyone can submit a essay, piece of art, anything about women's history. And we're interested, I think we have about eight of us on as admins right now. But we're interested in any, um, any woman in history, especially those that are not well known that we don't hear about. Because it seems like when we do teach history, we get you know, maybe 10 women throughout history. And you know, everybody knows about those particular women. So, um, which is great. I'm glad that we at least have that. But I would really like to hear all different cultures, religions, different um, different women from all different periods of time. Right, right. Well, you know, you're making me think about that Uppity Women of History series. Yes, you know. I love her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she, I, we posted several of her things on the blog, actually. She's awesome. Oh, so you, you actually know her. I know her on Facebook. I don't know her in real life. But yeah, she's actually, she just posted something on my wall about something. Uh, she has a weekly column now, too. So, um, oh, okay. I, well, I would love yeah, to know you more should, about you that. You should check that out. Yeah, I'll, it's on my wall, but I can send you the link, too. Um, I think it's through Op-Ed News. Um, and she has a different, the one yesterday was about witches. Um, and it, it was a really good piece. So um, she, yeah. she has wonderful things. Yeah, because, you know, when, when Women's History Month uh, rolls around every year, um, I mean, really, there's a dearth of information on women. It's like it, it's, a, it's really sort of a black hole. I mean, I was amazed um, a few weeks ago to find that a woman who was involved with the CIA and was an author and all sorts of stuff like that was actually very instrumental in creating the, uh, the country of Iraq. You know, I think it was a British woman. But, you know, these, these are interesting women that, um, you know, are, are sort of just swept beneath the rug of, uh, of history. And it, well, it, it would... <laughs> yeah, no, go it's ahead. really maddening, actually. It's, 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 um, and I, I touch on this in The Girl God because one example with Islam is people think that it's only men, male scholars. There were actually over 8,000 scholars of the Hadith and which is a Muslim, um, it's a, it kind of complements the, the Quran for those who aren't familiar with it. But 8,000 female scholars, and they were pretty much just swept under the rug. And now Oxford 
is um, publishing 53 volumes of all women scholars of the Hadith. So wow. I think women's history is coming out, but it's, it's really sort of amazing when you think of how little we hear about women in history, and, yeah. and, and that I think it's really suppressed on purpose for a reason, to take away our power. And you know, if you think about growing up without a role model, how disempowering that is. And I think a lot of girls do grow up that way. If they have a role model, it's a hero who's a man usually. There aren't yeah. that many sheroes. And there need to be more because it's not like there aren't any. It's that we just don't hear about them. Right. And well, and that's, you know, sort of the role goddess plays, you know, as an archetype or uh, or role model. But, uh, but you know, we, we do. We certainly do need more of that. And, and I think all of this is on purpose. I mean, you know, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think... Uh, no, it the is. Feminine, the feminine face of God was swept beneath the rug for a reason. You know, there's, you know, no women's history. There's no sheroes uh, because, you know, men don't want the competition. Men want to keep things, exi- I mean, not all men, you know, because I have a wonderful husband and I know there are wonderful men out there. But, you know, the ones that are benefiting from the status quo, the ones that are afraid of change, the ones that won't evolve, and realize that it's really a sin uh, to uh, be sexist, uh, and uh-huh. you know, it, 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 uh, you know, they've everything has been geared toward their benefit for way too long, and they just don't want that to change. Mhm. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we still have a couple minutes left. Um, I wonder what what else would you like to um, say about the books that maybe I haven't thought to ask you. Well, you know, um, I'd actually like to talk about something else if I could besides the sure. book. Um, so we have a couple minutes. And I, <laughs> I'll, I'll be quick. And I didn't uh, tell you this up front, but I think you'll like it anyway. And you may have seen it on my Facebook wall. But I'm involved with a global campaign that will take place everywhere around the world on August 16th at 1 p.m. or whatever time zone you're in. And it's called Bubbles Without, oh, excuse me, Bubbles Beyond Borders. And um, it came out of uh, two sisters that uh, ran a a campaign called Leave No Girl Behind um, in South Africa. And they've organized these beautiful campaigns. I'm, I'm heading up the Portland, Oregon campaign where women and girls can come together for the simple purpose of blowing bubbles with the radical um, purpose of naming and claiming our own dreams. And I think this is really important because even for me, you know, I'm almost 40, it's really hard for me still to name and claim my own dreams. It's a lot easier to work on behalf of all women and girls and say, oh, I'm going to do all these other things. But it seems like from birth we're told, Everyone else comes first, you know, mm-hmm. be the martyr, take care mm-hmm. of everyone, you know, especially if you're a mother, and you know, be a caretaker. So I'm really excited about this campaign, and I hope that people get involved everywhere and show up by the millions, because I think when we come together, it's so powerful. And, and this is a nonpartisan, you know, it's across all religious, all country lines, um, and it's just wonderful. Well, it, it does sound wonderful. It reminds me of the stuff that Eve Ensler does, you know, on the rise. Uh-huh. I think it's called Rise Up or something. Um, mm-hmm. So, is this kind of is this one of these things like with the Eve Ensler events where you go to a website and find out if it's happening in your city, or is it that um, you know is it that organized yet? 
Yes, it's very organized. Actually, we're still taking, um, they're still setting up campaign leaders. Um, there's some places that are not represented yet, so anyone who's listening to this should check out and see if there is one in your um, area. If there's not, they're very easy to put together. Um, I'm doing, like I said, I'm doing it here in Portland. It's, it's not like a tremendous amount of work or anything. It's very simple. Just get together for an hour, blow bubbles, come together as a community. Um, they do have a campaign on Facebook. There's a Facebook page. It's just Bubbles Beyond Borders. They have a website, bubblesbeyondborders.org. And, um, and they have a campaign right now where you can um, do a selfie with you know, a picture of why you support um, this campaign. Um, and everyone's welcome to submit a picture. Um, but we would love to have more support from other feminist organizations, um, anybody. And so when men are involved, everybody's involved. So at some point during the, the day, uh, during the hour that you're there blowing the bubbles, do the little girls, are they like encouraged to say what their dream is or something like yes. that? Yes. Lovely. We'll all be able to, I mean, depending on, every location will be different because depending on who the team leader is and, and how big of a, um, an event. Some of them, like I have friends that are kind of out in the boonies and they said, well, nobody's here. And I said, just if nothing else, just go with your daughter. Just you and your daughter go and blow bubbles at 1 o'clock in solidarity with all the other women doing it. It doesn't have to be, you know, this massive organized event. I just think it's powerful that all these different women from all over the world are going to come together on this day. I think so too. And just the, you know, and get, you know, so much I think, you know, women, we hold ourselves back, you know. We yes. have to give ourselves permission to take on these mantles of leadership, to, um, mm -hmm. to stand up against the status quo, against the patriarchy, you know. Um, you know, to, uh, to, you know, have our own stories, to do things our own way, you know, rather than, you know, always be asking permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to stop asking permission because we're not going to get it that way. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Uh no, we won't uh we won't be given permission. So, um so Trista, is uh is there anything else um you know, you'd you'd like to chat about anything like maybe happening in the Muslim feminist community, anything um you know, happening with the camps? I mean, like when are you are you going to do a Kickstarter? Will we know about it? Um Yeah. Well, we we're organizing for the Kickstarter um and we hope to have that up and running by the end of the summer. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be the squeaky wheel, so you'll hear from me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, most definitely keep me in the loop. And you know what? We do still have a little bit of time uh, before my next guest comes on. So, um, I don't know, in, in five minutes, uh, six minutes, can we talk about the, um, you know, the veil for women in the Muslim community? Oh, sure. You know? Um, I, you know, I, I just assume that it is uh, a symbol of oppression. Um, women who I know um, who claim to know women in the Muslim community say, no, they don't think of it that way. But then some of us come back and say, well, you know, maybe that, you know, they're sort of brainwashed. Um, so what's, what's, what's really the deal with the scarves and the burqas and the, is it the niqab? Is that how you pronounce the other one or? Okay, niqab. Okay. Well, so, um, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, all, uh, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, they all have, um, women that cover their hair. Um, you know, in Christianity we have nuns, we have, uh, women 
in the past that did cover their hair. So there is a tradition with that, and I think even what you were saying before, that there's actually even a tradition before the, the monotheistic uh, religions mm -hmm. um, came about of availing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of that is, is more cultural than it is religious. Like for me, um, and I obviously can't speak for all Muslims, I don't really find it an imperative within the Quran that says that you have to cover your hair. Right. Um, there's, there's things in the Hadith that you could read into that way, and obviously there's um, reasons why women do feel compelled to wear it, um, and they want to wear it. And actually, I have a lot of close friends that do wear it that are amazingly brilliant. You know, some of them have PhDs, um, and it's their choice, and they feel empowered, actually, by wearing the hijab um, for a couple reasons. First of all, and actually, I even have divine feminine friends that are Muslim that choose to wear the hijab, and for the reason that they feel that it brings them closer to the goddess. Um, Western dress, a lot of times, is oppressive to women. Um, putting our bodies kind of on display uh, in a way that has to be sanctioned by men for male approval. You know, mm -hmm. you can say high heels or, or mm -hmm. you know, different things because it's, it's different for every woman, every woman. Like some people could wear something and feel great about that. Other women feel very, um, especially, if, you know, for me as I get older, I think I'm a little bit more modest, although I'm not a hugely modest person. Um, so I think it also can change throughout your life because I have friends that have worn the hijab and taken it off and then worn it. So. I don't think it's like a all or nothing thing. I think it's first of all an individual choice. It should never be pressed upon someone and that's that's something I don't think a lot of people understand about Islam is that nothing should be forced upon you. So when you are in countries that say you have to wear this or you're going to um, be beaten or have some sort of penalty, I don't think that that's actually Islamic. I think that's really wrong. But I also find it really offensive when Western people say you can't wear the hijab or the burqa. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of the burqa personally, but if a woman wants to wear that, I think she should be able to. And I think it's really um, offensive because it happens a lot to women even just wearing the headscarf, the hijab, that people will just yank it off or um, make nasty comments to women wearing it. Um, a lot of times I think women wearing hijab, even if you look at the statistics for, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the organization off the top of my head, but for hate crimes and that sort of a thing, um, women that wear hijab are, are one of the most commonly targeted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And We live in an ugly world. Yes. And, and just from a personal perspective, when I have worn hijab, I've never worn it on a daily basis, but of course, you know, I have worn it at different times going to the mosque or something. And if I happen to leave it on, you know, to go to the store or, you know, whatever, people talk to me just, they kind of talk down to me like I'm really stupid or I don't speak English. It's really interesting because I'm still the same person and I don't have that normal experience in my daily life and it's, it's a really noticeable if I go out and and wear it. And that's why I was really happy last year a woman started um, World Hijab Day and she encouraged um, all different women, Muslim or not, to wear hijab and just see what it's like for a day. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't recall exactly when it is, but I would encourage everyone to try that before you make any 
any comments about the hijab, I think every woman should try to do that for a day and just see how it is. And in some ways, it's actually sometimes nice to wear the hijab. Um, I don't know how to explain it. It's just kind of like, you, you know, I think it's sort it's of a sense of, of security. A, it's a sense of security and um, it's kind of like you're more of your own person. Like you're kind of... Uh, I'm gonna, I, I can write this better than I can say it. I just think that it's, it's kind of like sometimes, especially now with social media, there's a sense of like giving everything away, like having everything about your life on display. And I think mm -hmm, wearing like the mm -hmm. hijab, it's kind of like, this is mine. Like this is my part of myself that's only for me. Right, right. I can understand that. Um, well, Trista, we might, uh, I have someone who has been holding on for a while, and I don't know whether she's listening or she has a question for you. Uh, do you mind oh, if okay. I check with her and see if she has a question for you? Oh, sure. Okay, let's see who this is. Uh, just I am Hi, um, uh, you're calling from the uh, area code 832. Did you have a question for myself or Trista? I had encouragement for both of you. Okay. Great. Well, we'll take my it. Name is, my name is Fred Ashmead. I'm in Houston, Texas, and I enjoyed listening to both of you. I wanted to encourage uh, both of you to uh, not hesitate in any way to use the uh, word goddess. There are uh, many, many men that... Um, feel and see uh, the spirit of God within being uh, feminine. Uh -huh. and, um, and, you know, what we feel is love. And if women don't, uh, if they're not brave and go out and get in the face of fundamentalists, that will always try to put women back into some place in the past, uh, then uh, little boys will never, ever get the chance to read about the powerful women of our time. I would encourage your daughter to write about her great mother. You are um, living now and making history, and Miss Tate, would be a great um, subject for someone that's making history now. And your granddaughters and grandsons will be able to read that history 25 years from now. So um, just from a, a supporting males uh, role, I, I want you to, um, to go strong, never hesitate, never let men keep you from uh, living out the life that you are destined to live. Wow. Thank you so very much. I have to tell you, um, you, you are honestly literally bringing tears to my eyes, and I have goosebumps all over my body hearing you speak because it's men like you who are going to help us change the world. So thank you so much for calling. Thank you for Thank you. both of you being brave. Take care. Okay, Thank you. good night. Wow, what a gift. What a gift that was. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I am so moved. Um, uh, I, I'm so glad he called us, Trista. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, um, I, I guess it is uh, time for us to wrap it up. Um, I see Anne uh, is on the switchboard, and I'm going to be getting to her pretty soon here. But um, let's make sure, Trista, we uh, let folks know how they can find you and the Girl God and anything else they might want to participate in, the Blowing Bubbles thing in August and the a Kickstarter for the girls' camps, and so please go ahead and tell your contact information again. The best place to find me is probably on my website, which is www.thegirlgod.com. All the other things that I talked about, except for Bubbles Beyond Borders, which I will get up on my website, are on there. We have girls. There's a link to the girls' rewrite history. Uh, there's a link to the goddess camps. Um, and then there's, of course, information about the books on there. Um, I'm also on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, if you just look up The Girl God, you'll find me. Okay. Well, Trista, these are beautiful books. Really, really, really sincerely, I just think, um, I, really, listeners, uh, these would make wonderful gifts for the holidays, uh, whether you're friends or adults or children, because they're so beautiful. Uh, your adult friends will love just uh, just looking at the pictures, and I'm sure if they're goddess advocates, uh, they're like you know they're like a little work of art. And uh, I I you know I I can't say anything but. Uh, uh, but but high praise and, and wonderful things. And I'm so glad you're doing this. And um, let's most definitely uh, keep in touch about all of this stuff. Yes. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me on. And thank you for all your work and your wonderful books, too. Oh, well, thank you. We, you know, we all, we, you know, with, with all of us together, you know what? We're going to do this. <laughs> yep, we uh, are. <laughs> there you go. Here we well, come. <laughs> Well, Trista, good night, and um, you know, have a have a have a wonderful summer, and uh, best of luck with all the projects. Thank you again, Karen. Take care. Okay. Good night. Good night. Well, we are uh, crossing the threshold. I think you probably let's see. Can you hear the crossing the threshold sound? Just a second. There it is. We are crossing the threshold, yes. Uh, and you know what that means. We are moving into the second part of the show and uh, a couple housekeeping tidbits before we uh, move on. Uh, I have a couple snippets I'd like to read to you from reviews that have just come in from my newest book, Goddess Calling, which has been endorsed by Jean Houston and Z Budapest and Barbara Walker and Selena Fox and other um, women. I'm sure you'll recognize uh, their names in the women's spirituality movement. Um, one uh, one of the reviewers, Harita Meni, she's a scholar of classical studies and an author. Uh, she actually lives in Greece. Uh, she reviewed the book, and it's gonna her review is gonna be in Sage Woman uh, pretty soon. And I'll just read you a little bit. She said. Um, Sometimes a touch of inspiration is just what we need to transform our mundane reality and infuse us with the energy of the sacred. Karen Tate's new book, Goddess Calling, does precisely that and a lot more. Going through its almost 200 pages was a powerful and uplifting experience. I felt profoundly touched by the thoughtful and empowering views in this book. It calls out to everyone supporting the ideals of the sacred feminine to come out and make a difference in the world. In Karen's own words, it's time to find our sacred war and wage peace. And uh, just uh, from the uh, 
the blog goddesspriestess.com, um, Woods Priestess. Uh, she said some nice things, too. She said, uh, Goddess Calling sounds just like Karen. I could hear her voice in my head through the many essays compiled in the book. She, she listens to the show. Uh, readers familiar with her radio show will recognize content themes and quotes as they appear sprinkled throughout the text. There are two features that set the book apart from many of its other, uh, from its modern counterparts. First, the explicit recognition and discussion that the connection between the personal uh, and political, that goddess is more than a nice idea or a friendly, beautiful archetype. She can transform the world. Second, the third section of the book contains a nice selection of guided meditation exercises, perfect for use with groups. So, goddess calling is beneficial both to the solitary goddess woman or man, helping to contextualize their personal, private experiences with cultural, political, and social realities. And for the ritual priestess, as she seeks to plan services, retreats, or programs for members of the community. So, thank you so very much to Harita and the Wood Priestess at thegoddesspriestess.com. So um, I hope you'll go to my website, karentate.com, and order a book or from your local bookseller. Uh, Amazon is putting most booksellers out of business, and, you know, we have to be aware of that. Buy there only if you have no other options. Uh, Goddess Calling is for individuals, our group inspiration. It helps connect the dots between the importance of goddess spirituality, politics, and social issues of the day. You know, I actually get emails uh, saying, Karen, I can't put this down, and I have to tell you, it really makes me feel good. So I hope you'll help support me and the show by picking up a a copy of Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages, and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. And one final thing before we say hello to Anne, who we're going to spend the rest of the hour with, my thanks to Joe Carson and Dancing with Gaia for helping me with her commercial to pay for this airtime that I gift to my wonderful guests. Um, And you can help support the show as well. If you like uh, the show and you want to be sure Voices of the Sacred Feminine can continue to be on the air and can continue to pay its bills, uh, please go to my website, karentate.com, go to the Goddess Store page, scroll down to the very bottom, uh, below the free meditations, yes, yes, some freebies are there for you, and make a donation of any amount and it will be greatly appreciated, I promise you. The psychic state of the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and the divine were all connected, they were together, that there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. That's the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex.
Well, that was Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. You can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. Um, I have the book. I have the DVD. It's really good. Uh, there aren't many DVDs that I know of like this out there. It's something to really look into. I promise. Okay. Um, well, I am going to unmute Anne and welcome her to the show. Hey, Anne. Oh, hi, Karen. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being with me. And um, I want to talk about your book, uh, Women, Wisdom, and Dreams, The Light of the Feminine Soul. Um, I saw some of your materials that it's reached an international audience, uh, including those in the fields of health and education uh, and women in homeless shelters. So I want to talk about that. Um, but, you know, but first I wanted to ask you about the uh, mnemonic productions uh, which is how I learned about your work. Uh, Joan Marler, I'm on her uh, email list, and um, I saw the promotion about your presentation in May. And um, can, do you know a little bit about um, uh, Mnemonic Productions, Celebrating Women as creati- uh, Creators of Culture? Well, I know Joan because we lived... Um, Could you speak up just other. a little bit? <clears throat> yes, I know Joan because we lived very close to each other. And for many years, we would walk a three-mile loop. We might just spontaneously meet each other, and we would have conversations. And over the years, the conversations deepened. And then we got to know each other at a very deep level. So I do know that her deep commitment to uncovering feminine wisdom is what uh, lives inside mnemonic productions and I did meet some of the women in the organization and and they're very committed to uh, providing a, a venue for women to speak and to share right and, yeah I've uh, noticed they women. they do something along this line uh, celebrating women as creators yes. of culture um, right. I, I don't know how often it seems like maybe every couple months um, uh, I wish I so wish we had something like this down here in uh, Southern California. Uh, I'm looking at the 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 write up, and apparently it's Joan Marler, Leslie Le- Della Madre, who I've interviewed here on the show, Teresa Dentino, Rebecca Everett, Karen Guggenheim, uh, Joan Marler, Jana Muhar, and Constance. Uh, I guess it's Peisinger. Um, so, yeah, these women are doing great work uh, supporting other women, which is what your work is all about, right, Anne? Right. Yes, that's right. And, um, and a- again, if there's anything it, uh, you can do to maybe just try to remember to speak just a little bit louder, you're very yes. soft-spoken. Yes. Can you hear me now? That's a little bit better. Yeah, if you can try okay. to remember to keep it at that volume, that would be helpful. All right, thank you. Yes. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, your work. I know you work with women in crisis and uh, homeless women. Um, you know, how did you get into that? What has that been like? I guess it inspired your book. Um, why don't you just start by telling your story? Well, I've been working with women in groups and individuals for about 23 years, 
and women across the country and sometimes women from other countries as well. I did some traveling and spoke at conferences in India and Switzerland and Italy. And then I had this, it actually came from a dream that I had that gave me this seed for showing that the work with the feminine can be extremely practical and that can be a model for social our, our society, basically, that it's not something just for women's private lives or in their family lives, but it goes way beyond that and can be pivotal in how we relate to people, in particularly in people in need and women in need, marginalized women. And so... I was giving a talk, a presentation one day, and someone began to ask me, well, what do you mean by this, and how does that work? And and she told me that she was on the board of a homeless shelter for women. And I said, well, these circles would help those women. I'm sure of it. And she looked surprised, and then she said, well, I'll introduce you to the director. And after numerous conversations because I was bringing something quite new to this shelter and I showed them my book Women, Wisdom and Dreams and they wanted to explore and see if this would work so we had a pilot program that was over four years ago and it was really fascinating to me because I had absolutely no idea I had a belief that it would work but I really didn't have the evidence and so for me to have this opportunity to sit with women who are, many of whom are newly homeless, to sit with them and to see how does a circle work? How does, how do the very feminine qualities of listening, of, of silent meditation, of um, sharing and receiving each other's stories, how, how does that work in a, in a sacred space? Would it actually touch women who are in such dire need? And would it even be appropriate? And so I saw from the very first day that there was a a great hunger, a great yearning among women, all women, really, but among this population of women who have, in many cases, lost so much in their lives And it was as if their hearts were uncovered in a way that I didn't see very often. And they needed this quiet. They needed the stillness to reconnect with something very powerful in themselves that perhaps they lost or never had reflected to them for their entire lives, Uh, a quality of of value, of, of beauty, of wisdom. And so... I watched the women begin to have experiences of changing, of touching something very dear and precious inside of them, and this giving them the deepest form of empowerment to help them take the steps they needed to find housing, to find work, to change relationships, to heal in their families. And I saw this over and over and over again. And very 
maybe three months after I started, uh, several women colleagues joined me. And so I, I learned again that this is not something that just had to do with my experience and how I work with women in circle, but really could be uh, translated to any woman who had some some spiritual life of her own that she could bring her quality, her essential quality that would be somewhat different from mine and it still was the same it still provided this beautiful space for women to to find something that they had lost or find something that they had forgotten that our culture has forgotten so, so Anne, let me ask you um, uh the circles that you would put together with these women, um, you mentioned, you know, listening, sharing stories, the meditations. How does that then, um, you know, not that I'm minimizing it by any stretch of the imagination, no. but these women are su- in such dire straits. I mean, they're in right. at probably the lowest part point of their life. How does yeah. that translate into helping them succeed then? I mean, does it give them some sort of inner strength or certainty that they're not alone? I mean, or, you know, how how does it actually translate into empowering them, I guess? Right. That's a very good question. There's several aspects that I can respond to. The first one is that the women say, I feel stronger coming out from the circle than I did when I came in. So the first the first thing that happens is that they do reconnect with a strength inside where they might have just been connected with their sense of failure or their sense of shame. They actually go deeper than that into a, a place of um, real real power, real strength that is connected with the sacred or with the divine, however you say this. And... And if the women are having to deal with finding work, finding housing, and there's many services in the county as well, then they are given a a deeper clarity so that many times they'll say after meditation, oh, no, now I know my next step, or now I know what I need to do. And this happens over and over with women from incredibly diverse backgrounds and uh, often cultural backgrounds and even countries. So they hear a wisdom that we don't value in this culture. So the women don't know how to value it themselves, but it's, it's there. It's not like it goes away or disappears. It's... Uh, it was very interesting. I was speaking with Joan before I was invited to speak at their um, mnemonic productions, and I was telling her about some experiences I had in Baton Rouge working with a group of homeless women who um, came to a, a nonprofit center that had invited me to give a workshop there. And I was telling her what happened in two hours, or four hours, actually, of how the women transformed in this very short period of time from a sense of isolation and shame, 
which completely disempowers women. That's not our nature. And reconnected them not only to their own wisdom and beauty, but to each other, and then beyond to a sense of belonging to women globally who are being faced with challenges and suffering and also finding that there is a transformation or a a power that is being born out of this time that women all over the world are experiencing. So Joan said, oh, well, what you're doing is looking at the place beneath the wound. Mm. And and so I said, yes, that's exactly it. There's like a like water, pure water, clean water coming from within a woman that is deeper than her wound and deeper than the trauma. And it's always like a, a pure, there's a purity to it. it, it you making me violated. think of like a well of wisdom or something, yes, you know, exactly. that, that we have within. Yes. And so Joan told me something about, um, when she, I hope she doesn't mind that I'm sharing this, but it was so beautiful. Um, when she was uh, with her daughter many, many years ago, when her daughter was young and Joan was having a difficult day, and and she said, she said something to the effect of how hard it was and that she felt really bad about herself. And her daughter, maybe four or five, said, Oh, Mommy, it doesn't touch that place inside that, that's always beautiful. Mm. And, and it was just such a, a beautiful understanding of this child that there is that place in women. And Out of the mouth of babes. Yes, so... This is something that I didn't know whether this would actually have a kind of practical effect, but it does. And so the women feel, one, they feel love inside themselves and love for themselves. They feel connected to life in a way that they didn't before. And they feel listened to and my experience is that if a woman is really listened to at the deepest level, then she can then live from that place. It's like it's like we just need to be seen sometimes. Right. If nobody right. in your life has ever seen you, how can you live from that place? Right. And so right. that's that's what we do. Well, and, you know, and I think so many women are just playing out roles that the patriarchy tells us to play. And how many women really never find their authentic self? Right. Well, it's really something, it's a journey for all of us. Right, right. And for these women, I remember one woman woman said that we may be be homeless, living in shelters, um, but... She preferred to call, and women in her situation, um, we are women in transition, and we are be- and we are learning out. We are learning who we are, and I thought that was a, such a a wonderful perception. Yeah, such a positive and more noble, um, yes. you know, in self pride. You can there's pride there, you know. Yes. Um, uh, you know, self worth, I guess. Um, is is what I mean, and um, 
you know, and, and it, it reminds me of, um, I don't know, I, I was just speaking to somebody, I was doing an interview myself before uh, the show started, and they were asking me about a chapter in the my book that I wrote, God is Calling, about the liberation of surrender, is what I called it, and I was talking about how adversity and challenges, uh, if we only look at them as gifts, um, you know, it, it, it's and how we re, how we react to the challenges that really sort of says who mm-hmm. we are, and it, to a certain extent. And it sounds like what you're saying: these women um, can see. The, you know, I, I wonder when they look back in hindsight if they might even see this tumultuous time in their life uh, brought them gifts that they might never have had if they hadn't become homeless. I mean that might be well, a stretch, but <laughs> one of the qualities that that I see often that that really really stunned me at first was the, the degree of gratitude of the women, and they are so in many cases they are so grateful for what they are learning or what they are discovering about themselves, and. I feel that there's something about our hearts that when we're in a time of struggle, no matter how it's been caused, um, in many cases it can be true. Uh, the culture doesn't, the culture has lost a, the value of the feminine, and so that is why there's such poverty and so many women who don't have homes and so many women who have, you know, they have to live in the streets um, until a shelter opens up for them. Um, So I'm not, I don't want to mix it with saying this is a good thing. But what I find, my experience with women, is that their hearts are so open and there's a great deal of gratitude and I remember one woman, she was a little bit unusual in the sense that she was so recently um, really dropped out of a um, a very successful, outwardly successful life. Um, she said she had an SUV and she was a soccer mom and she traveled and she had this and that. And she said, but she never really liked women and being in the shelter and suddenly faced with only women around her who could help her she said for the first time she learned to value women and then to value the feminine in herself and i was really struck by this and uh she was she was someone who like many of the women was very grateful to get through the experience of shock to the the uncovering of something that can't be taken away right Some, something right. really essential and so um it's almost as if there's this great wound in our culture that we don't speak about except on shows like yours and um other people who are also writing about this or speaking about it, but certainly mainstream, um, there is this 
There is this wound that nobody dares to look at or touch. And I feel that these women are living living that wound in a way that could inform us, could open the hearts of people to perhaps look at themselves and their lives and and the feminine in a in a very different way. Well, you know, you're reminding me of um uh, a, the book that Phyllis Chesler wrote, Women's and Humanity to Women. And when you said about this woman who was unusual and um, you said that she didn't like ver- women very much, um, you know, I can honestly say that, you know, most of the heartache I've had in my life has come to me not from men but from women. And right. I wonder if that fits into the equation anywhere. You know, the 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 competition between women, the the sort of that insidious way women can treat one another that uh, is so heart-wrenching. Um, does, does that, <clears throat> you know, does that sort of go away when you apply some of these techniques that you use in these circles? Or or these, and I guess what I, where I'm going with this is, um, I wonder if these techniques are things that, you know, women who even aren't in crisis can use to have a more fulfilling life, to maybe be more in solidarity and partnership with other women or just, you know, lead a deeper, more um, satisfying life. Hmm. Well, one of the things that I do see in these circles is, a trust of each other. The circle feels completely safe to the women. And for many women, they've not ever felt safe to be themselves. And so I do feel that the principles of these circles, which are really just the same feminine principles that we can bring into our lives that we can actually live um, whether we're in crisis or not I feel that they they open a door you, you, you call, call it fulfillment well I really raise the question what is fulfillment is it is it as I see it that there is a deep need um, among women to to help life it's it's a deepest deepest need. It's part of our nature to help life, to help life heal, or help life um, be nourished, or to to bring a quality of um, the sacred into places where in in our own being and in our own lives where it might feel like it's missing. And so, in that way, yes, these these principles are for for all of all of us to to embrace to open to um, I'll bring in the element of dreams because for me I really woke up to the feminine through dreams I would never have embraced or been able to embrace the feminine just with thinking about it and so it was dreams and experiences that that opened me to a very different way of being and 
fulfilling in this in the deepest sense of living living my life in service to life in service to truly life the the life inside of me and the life around me and that i feel is is the deeper sense of fulfillment i think for a woman so tell me Anne, when you say um you know through your dreams you came in contact with what it what the sacred feminine means so that you could um live that in your life um mm-hmm. And forgive me if I paraphrase that a little awkwardly. That's uh, fine. But what does that look like? I mean, how is it? How does one live that way that maybe we aren't in our everyday rat race patriarchal world? What what shifts? What do we do different? Well, I would. That's a really good question. I would say that. In my own life, I I have been so well trained, um, and I don't mean this by my family, but just being a part of this culture, to um, want to to want to do things, to want to fix things, to want to make things right. Um, a certain outer action or a certain busyness that really got in the way of a deeper feminine quality or or to live the sacred feminine really is something very different from what I thought it was and and it seems like I had to bump up against difficulties time and time again until I could really embrace this different way and and I it's like a spiral you you get a taste of it and then it goes deeper and higher each time you bump up against something in your life or there's an obstacle or something doesn't some something doesn't happen right or um there's something in your heart that is pulling at you and you don't understand it or for many women it might be depression or what I call longing, which is quite different. And and these experiences take take us deeper. And so to go into those depths is sometimes a little bit um awkward. It's like it's like the things invisible we are less comfortable with than the things visible. And the inner life is often very quiet, very invisible, and and yet that is where change takes place. That is where healing takes place. So just in an ordinary, practical way, I would say that in times of difficulty or even in times of um, searching or yearning for something deeper in one's life, there is a way where if we just sit quietly or take a walk in nature, or we take a little bit of time just to be quiet, then 
a deeper wisdom rises up and and it's not really of our own doing it's it's like the Taoist understanding but it's in many it's i've i've met this in many different traditions as well but it's as if when we can become still when we align ourselves with that sacred which we love then that is the very quality that begins to flow out into our lives and help to change or heal the life around us but it's not anything that we do and I found this very very hard to live Um, I had to get kind of hit on the head many times before it really penetrated um, that this devotion is actually a form of power. So let me me say back to you what I think you just said, and if I misunderstood it, please feel free to Mm -hmm. correct me because I'd really like Mm -hmm. to get this right. Um, So really I think what you're saying, it's the act of kind of doing nothing the stillness, and what I mean by that, the stillness, the uh, going within, the quiet time, it's, it's that time of inaction is when the wisdom reveals itself. That is my experience, and that has been my experience with the circles of women, both in homeless shelters and, and beyond, that this wisdom rises up in that and and a certain love can become present in our lives that is not anything that we can manufacture or or make ourselves um, be a better person or anything like that it's it's so much deeper and and this I have found to be the deepest fulfillment to live by that really there's nothing there's nothing else in my experience that can create healing or change as at the level of the depth that can happen when we do have that time for stillness or for sitting quietly or for sitting quietly with women in a sacred circle well, you, you're making me think of the red tent movement that is becoming so popular now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they mm-hmm. used some in some places they used to be called moon lodges, but you know it's mm-hmm. it's not just for you know at that uh, time of our sacred blood, you know. Um, so, so some of the practical ways, um, you know, to to achieve that deeper knowing. Um, you, you said uh, stillness, uh, women's circles, um, quiet walks, I guess, you know, sort of uh, to be able to go within, um, you know, meditation, I would imagine, if, if that's something that comes easy to you. Um, all of those things and, uh, and, and anything else? Well, I would say to listen to your heart and to listen to your dreams and the dreams the dreams speak to us from such such a deep and powerful place 
of the need of our life and the need of the earth, the need in the world, they they speak to us. And and for me, it was the dreams that I see even in any circle, including the women in the shelters. They would have a dream that would come that would give them some incredible guiding light to help them get out of their situation. But I think what we're speaking about here is that the dreams or our hearts or walking in nature, we begin to, if we become really really receptive, it's not easy to become receptive, but if we can, then we can hear something that wants to come alive in us. And we don't even know what that is. To me, that's where everything is born. That's where, that's the beauty of the feminine because in the darkness, in, in the spaces where we're not doing and manipulating life, then something so much deeper can come forth. And we really need to just give it a space. Um, we don't have to understand it. It can be through prayer. It can be through um, watching a sunrise. To me, it's it's like um, in the language of a dream that I had, it was that women can wake up in the morning before dawn and sing to God that they don't do anything, that they just allow that song to be sung. And we can't we can't live like that, all of us, because we have very busy lives. But if we can translate that into what that would mean for um, us individually, for me it means to wake up in the morning before anyone else in the house is awake and just to have some time where I... I am in meditation or I am in prayer and that's what really sets my day in motion so that I don't immediately get caught in oh my gosh I've got to do this that and that and if I don't do that then this is going to happen it's like um, a power of of our attention that opens the gates of grace I don't know how else to say that no, I know what you mean, I, I, I think. Um, so would you say, Anne, do you think we're tapping into our uh, our innate wisdom to the, what do they call the sea of consciousness, which is the, you know, perhaps the great mother, the Akashic record, uh, I don't know if you had to, if you had to name it, I mean, I know this is probably, this isn't a, a, a question to know, but what would you surmise it is that we tap into? Well, there's so many names for that quality that that some might call this God, some might call it the goddess, some might say it is the one, others might call this the beloved, others might just say the sacred. There are so many names that are given to this the, or the Tao, the, the reality of something so precious and so so alive that we are in really dire need of in our lives, and 
And but I guess what I'm asking you is, do you think it, it emanates from within us or we are tapping oh, into it from outside of ourselves or it's a collaboration? Uh, a collaboration. Um, I will speak in the terms of a, a, a symbol that was given to me in a dream because we're speaking about something that doesn't quite, for me, I can't quite translate into words. Yeah, but the language the symbol, is hard. Yeah, but the symbol conveyed it to me. And in the dream, I was shown a, a pregnant woman, and she was given being given a sonogram. And the sonogram showed that at her navel, she was connected to the universal, to the sacred in the universe. How I understood that is that as a woman, I am both there's both that within me, the the sacred, the the one, what I would call the beloved inside of me, but that it is also beyond and impersonal and part of something much bigger than me. And and every woman has that connection. It's a natural connection because that's how we've been made. And... I think it's more a process of uncovering than having to discover, to uncover what's already there than to discover something by reading a lot of books or um, trying to find it outside of ourselves. So it is within, but it is also much bigger than us. Right. Does that, 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 that interconnection that we are part and, of. And, and some of the materials you sent me, you talk about um, how do we nourish ourselves. Is, mm-hmm. Would that be some of the techniques you were just mentioning? Or is that something aside from all of that? I think it would be a little bit different for every woman. Um, it depends on how we're made. It depends on our character. But I think... I feel that to have a little bit of silence or a little bit of quiet, and that means for our minds also to be quiet, um, that is essential. There's just too many things going on. Life is too busy and so difficult for many of us, many people today. And so we we have to respect uh, this need in us for for being being in a place where we are connected to to that to to god to to the feminine to the sacred feminine and so for me it is it is not when i'm active and running around it's when i'm quiet or when i take a walk alone in in the hills or when i'm in prayer these are essential to me. They're, they're like. Um, I remember one day when I was really. I do have a very busy life. I'm a grandmother and I work and, um, and I, I just took about ten minutes. I lay down one afternoon. I had to rest. And I lay down and went immediately into a deep state, and I saw 
an image. It's like a dream, but not a dream because it was just so quick and it was while I was just resting, but not fully conscious. And I saw an image of a woman pouring water on my feet, clear, cool water. And I woke up so incredibly refreshed. <laughs> and I realized that it, that it was showing me a different way of being. You know, it went on my feet, where I stand, where I run, where I walk. It was showing me that this water, grace, this this very feminine quality of of nourishment came for me when I just stopped. I didn't have to mm. pay for it. I didn't have to um, go out somewhere. I just I just rested. And, and some, it's sort of like maybe we—I uh, don't know—the uh, thought that we overthink everything. You know, we overdo. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, here I'm asking you for the steps when really <laughs> right. I'm overthinking right. it. In a way. Well. In. Well, it has to be translated um, into our modern world because that's where we live, and so I understand your questions. And at the same time, it's something that I feel that we all have in us um, and that it's like frozen knowledge. It might have been frozen for a lifetime or lifetimes or who knows how long, but it can thaw when we stop and rest, even for a short time, when we are, um, when we let ourselves just be. And so this is very possible even in our incredibly hectic lives. And it has to be because this is what we need and this is uh, this is the nourishment we need. And when we are when we are nourished in this way from deep inside, um I'm sure you've experienced that too where you'll have a dream or an experience or a meditation and then something feels so filled up in you that might have been depleted just a day ago. Yeah. And and so where does that come from? It's not from our doing. It's not from something that we have to go go by. It's it's there. And we when we recognize that this this exists, this feminine beautiful place of nourishment exists then we can turn to it so and do you think this is the same for men i i think that it's a little bit different for men the sacred feminine is in all of us i do have to say that um it's in it's in every human being um i think for men it's it will be experienced differently but i do think that um contemplation or solitude or walking in nature will or dreams will help very much there and i remember i was uh i had a a session a telephone session with a a man um a number of years ago and he knew nothing about inner life so he thought or dreams but someone gave him a 
a, a gift of speaking to me um, for a half an hour because he he had had recurring dreams for many years that bothered him. And so when he told me his dreams, I realized it was his inner, it was his feminine side that was just calling to him, yearning for yearning for his recognition. And and when I reflected that back to him, it was like everything lined up inside of him. <laughs> and he had taken everything literally when really it had to do with this deepest love affair inside himself. And I've never mm. heard something so uh, so touched me to see in a half an hour that he was he touched this this place in him that that was just completely uh completely old but completely new and and it I could hear him smiling <laughs> um, <laughs> well was, and we probably have beautiful. about three minutes left and yeah. um i w- what have I not asked you that you feel it might be important to share in these remaining few minutes? I would say that what what I'd like to just emphasize is that when we do this work and we're not doing it for ourselves alone, but really aware that we are connected, we are connected to life in this in this very deep way that we can for instance hold the earth in our heart when we pray or meditate or we can know that we are part of life when we go for a walk. This makes it much bigger. Um, It means that we are actually uh, being of service, but in an inner way. And there are some people for whom this is... Some women who don't even know that this exists. And they so long to be of service outwardly when there's also this calling inwardly that is a different way of, of helping life, helping. Um, and so as we nourish ourselves, as we drink that cool water, we are also drinking that water for for life, for the for collective. And so I guess that goes back to your question of is it just inside or is it a larger a larger dimension so just that everything that we do is connected to to the world we are not right. separate we are not fragmented and i think that gives meaning and great responsibility for us to find find that love that place of love in our hearts for for life for for everything, for everyone, for the earth. So, but it can be well, in the simplest thank you. ways. Thank you for a beautiful so. and insightful and meaningful conversation tonight. Thank you, Karen. I so appreciate having the time and and being together with you. It's been really. I have too. Listeners, we uh, have been uh, hearing Ann Scott. She is a writer, speaker, founder of Dream Weather Foundation, a nonprofit organization based in Northern California. 
that provides programs for women in different sectors of society. For the last 23 years, she's given retreats and workshops around the country. Her work focuses on restoring the sacred feminine and spiritual dream work. Her work also supports women through times of crisis and transition, and she's worked with newly homeless women for the last four years. She's the author of Women, Wisdom, and Dreams, The Light of the Feminine Soul. She's been a speaker at numerous global conferences, including the Global Peace Initiative of Women at the UN in Geneva, Switzerland, Making Way for the Feminine for the Benefit of the World Community in India, and Cultivating Women's Spiritual Mastery in Italy. Uh, And she's been uh, practicing uh, the Sufi tradition since 1990. Her website, uh, if you'd like to look her up and learn more about her work and follow up on uh, her books and workshops and retreats, uh, it is dreamweather.org, dreamweather.org. Well, Anne, thank you so very much for being on the show. Let's make sure we keep in touch, okay? Yes, thank you, Karen. Good luck with all your work. It's really quite wonderful that you're providing this space for women. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so very much. May we all be uh, prosperous and um, uh, gee, we just want to change the world, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, good night and the best to you. And to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, listeners, next week we have on the show uh, Carol Christ. Uh, She is calling in from Greece to discuss the goddess and the joy of life in ancient Greece. Uh, She's my only guest, so there will be time to hear from you. So get those comments I mentioned earlier in the show to me. Uh, Send them to me at my email address, karentate108 at ca.rr.com. And in the subject line, please put comments for radio show. And as I say goodbye, uh, I'll leave you with the words of Monique Wittig, who inspires us to rethink, reinterpret, relearn the way of the female, because we have mostly been taught the ways of the authoritarian, patriarchal, dominator father. Monique says, there was a time when you were not a slave. Remember that. You walked alone, full of laughter. You bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost all recollection of it. Remember. You say there were no words to describe this time. You say it does not exist. But remember. Make an effort to remember. Or failing that, invent. Well, thank you, my dear listeners. You are the gas in my tank, as I have so often told you. And uh, I think we're going to go ahead and close out tonight's show uh, with Abigail Spinner McBride again. And this is her cut, Arms of the Mother. Good night. Have a wonderful week. I will be with you again next Wednesday. And please tell your friends about Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Please go out and buy Goddess Calling. I, it would really make me happy. And uh, click the follow button. Come see me on Facebook. Good night. Evil, mama, 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 mama.